Listener Production. Shares. Market. The S&P. The ISX. Stocks. This is the Motley Fool Money Mailbag. Welcome to Motley Fool Money, our very special Sunday mailbag edition with me, Scott Phillips, and him, Andrew Page. G'day, mate. How are you? I'm very good. Yourself? I'm exceptionally well, mate. You are, of course, the Managing Director, Chief Cook and Bottle Washer, uh, Chief Investor, the man himself, the straw man himself at strawman.com. Uh, mate, thank you for thank you for making the time on this uh, pleasant Sunday, or Thursday morning as it might be, to join me. Um, I, of course, am the Chief Investment Officer of The Motley Fool here in Australia, and that's who we are. More importantly, who are you? Because we're going to answer your questions today, the questions that you've thrown us, maybe some comments, maybe some questions. A couple of emails took us to task, Ram, for last week, so get ready for that. Um, we okay. will do our best to, uh, to, to you know, accept the criticism constructively, uh, or we may rant and rant and call you funny names. We'll see how we go. Depends on the mood goes. <laughs> Depends on the mood goes. We won't do that, I promise. Uh, we'll do that off air, right, Andrew? <laughs> of course. <laughs> I, I, a quick, quick heads up. I did, we get one, well, I will read later, one compliment for not having a prepared script. And I thought that was lovely that people actually thought they were doing that for some you know, constructively artistic reason rather than just because that's how we work. But I'm happy to take that and uh, we will proceed accordingly with that, with that particular students, <laughs> Students of improv theatre, perhaps. <laughs> oh, there you go. Have you ever done improv? No. I'm told no, you have well, to always whole, say yes. My whole life and career has been <laughs> improv to some, to some extent. It's supposed to be funny though, you know that, don't you? Yeah. yeah well, they're, they're, All right. the first problem. Let's get to our first question, mate, from a listener who calls themselves Chewbacca. I don't know why. They don't say why. They just signed the email Chewbacca, so that's how we're going to go with it. Hi, Scott and Pagey. First time question for the mailbag, but a long time listener. Love your stuff, guys. Thank you, mate. No one seems to be able to answer my question which is regarding stock announcements. I currently invest in ASX shares through Comsec. One of the features I love and is a main factor of why I choose them as my broker is that you're able to get alerts immediately after the company has published an announcement and can view the announcement on the app. The convenience is key for me. I like seeing the stock's announcements on one page. My other brokers, which I use to invest in the US, don't have this feature. They just have the news displayed by the media, which just creates too much noise. So to my question, is there an app or a website that has a feature where you can see US and European stock announcements and perhaps to be able to receive notifications in real time? If you guys are unsure, business idea, question mark? Ha ha, stay safe, full on, Chewbacca. I am going to go first, mate, only to say I've got no idea. I've not seen an app that just does announcements. There is yeah. the US Edgar service, um, which is run by the SEC, which provides those things. That's a really nice platform. It's there. It's just company announcements, but I don't know they do alerts as far as I'm aware. And I've got to say, mate, I, I know nothing about the European market, so I'm no use there. Do you have any, any additional thoughts on that one? No, although I'd, I'd be surprised that there isn't. There used to be a really cool one in Australia, although it was uh, allegedly illegally scraping the data yeah. from the ASX, but God, it was handy, What's so I won't on? mention the name, but it was just <laughs> such a great... Great platform, yeah, and yeah. and and I and I agree. I mean, I I the ASX announcements page is one of the highest rotation pages on my browser. To be honest, yeah, with right. You. It's um, it's I just go straight to the original source of truth. But mm-hmm. as to what as to what is out there, US, mm-hmm. European, that will actually give you a push notification or something? Mm-hmm. I, yeah, I'm I'm gonna say unfortunately pass as well. Although it seems surprising in 2021 that someone hasn't mm. done that. Um, there may be there may be some reasons with the gatekeepers, mm-hmm. uh, in our case ASX, who yeah. might say, no, 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 that's that's ours and we're not going to let others do it, even though we're not going to do it very well and others could do it really fantastically. Um, Listcorp is a company in Australia that I've I, I mm-hmm. use just a free service. They they they're pretty good with that kind of mm-hmm. stuff. But yeah, mate, US US and, and Europe. I'm I'm no help. Sorry. I maybe worth um, outsource the issue here. Maybe worth jumping onto a Reddit thread or something uh, for US European market and mm-hmm. ask the question. You might might get a good response. Yeah, very possibly, mate. As you say, the gatekeepers. I uh, look. You know, why not? I'll go out there. I'm not a huge fan of um, of the way the ASX controls access to data. I know they're a pub, private business and by definition, that's how they kind of choose to make some of their money. Um, the brokers have to pay for that. So to your, to your question, Chewbacca, Compsec provide it because they pay for it uh, and that's why you get it because you're a customer of theirs and they choose to make it available to you as part of their free platform, which is wonderful. Um, I, yeah, mate, I, to your point about that, that company was stopped doing it because they were scraping the data, which should frankly be, I mean, it should be public data, right? It's, it's shareholder announcements. It's um, public information. Yeah, I, it, yeah. It, it, it drives me crazy. And I, here, here we go, mate. Long, oh, I'm interrupting oh, you here for no. a long rant. 
But we, 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 with Strawman, obviously we need share market data and it is, it is Mm -hmm. a very cosy oligopoly in terms of data (laughs) providers that charge like wounded bulls and deliver terrible, terrible service. Not too long ago, probably last year, I thought, oh, it would be really cool Mm -hmm. to have ASX announcements on Strawman. So looked into it a little bit. It's opaque and difficult to navigate. Uh-huh. If, if you're not a major bank, no one wants to speak to you. Anyway, it turns out just to display the announcement. Now, mm. I've still got to go pay a data provider separately to yep. get the announcement. Yeah, right. But to have a license uh-huh. that gives me the right to display, I'm, I forget the exact figure, but it was, it was around 20K per year to, to mm-hmm. allow the ASX to allow me to display an announcement that I would argue is very much in the public domain mm-hmm. and I then have to pay for separately through a data provider. It is outrageous. So there are, there are doubtless a lot of uh, entrepreneurially-minded developers out there that could whip a really great application together because it's not hard. Hey, tell me, when a new announcement comes out of this API feed, you know, display it and, and give an email alert or a push notification. It's not hard stuff, right? Yeah, give me a watch list exactly. where I can filter. It's, it's super easy stuff, yeah. super easy stuff. <laughs> he, he says being the world's worst uh, coder. <laughs> um, but but, but it, it does frustrate me and I feel as though the ASX is a what you might call an, I know technically it's not a monopoly because it Tri-X, mm. but you know, let's let's call a spade a spade. Yep. Um, it is it is effectively a monopoly and yep. probably a natural monopoly. Yep. It, it doesn't make sense yep. to have thousands of different exchanges. They are regulated as as uh, as a consequence mm-hmm. of that. But I do I do think some of their pricing, unfortunately, what it, it has perverse. I told you this would be a long rant. It has perverse. <laughs> It has perverse outcomes because what it does is it makes this data more inaccessible, more mm. expensive mm. when it when it should be, I would say, mandate that to be to be free, accessible, and easy. And yeah. you know, refreshing the ASX announcements page is pretty two thousand and four kind of stuff. Yeah. Um, so I, I feel your pain, Chewbacca. I feel your pain, <laughs> and um, I'm sorry I can't give you a good answer. Yeah. Other than maybe a bit of bit of regulation, would be nice if the uh, if the government's listening. Uh, I, I'm okay for ASX to make a dollar, but uh, something that should be literally part of a democratic access to data shouldn't be uh, shouldn't be something that's restricted by payment. Hey, um, let's Sorry, go to a question from Anonymous. Who chooses to call himself Anonymous anyway. Hi, Scott. Mm. <laughs> Maybe this is why. Hi, Scott. You are very handsome, smart, and funny. It wasn't even by me, Ram. I'm just assuming that Anonymous has realised that the more compliments you give us, the better chance your question gets answered. There is a pattern. I'm <laughs> noticing a pattern myself. I have mentioned a few times that, you know, we're really human, we have egos. If you want to say nice things to us, we will always appreciate that. Um, he said, I have a question for the podcast. Can you please discuss the rules on trading with insider information? Now I know why they mm. might be calling themselves Anonymous. Are, there, uh, are these rules specific to any particular asset class? If I overhear a conversation on the street, is that enough to be classified as insider information? Kind regards from Anonymous mm. uh, or Bud Fox, depending on who you want to be. Maybe it's Bud Fox, maybe it's not. That's the Wall Street reference for those who know the movie. Um, mate, this is one, we're not lawyers, so I'm, I'm, I'm reticent to try and give anyone specific information. For God's sake, don't act on anything we now say after this question. Because um, frankly, if you say in court, but Scott Andrews said it was fine. The judge is going to laugh it's at weak, you and then lock defense. you away. Exactly, yeah. exactly. So, mate, to your knowledge, what constitutes insider information? Insider information is something that a reasonable person would expect to have a material impact on a business and, in turn, probably its share price. Did you Google that? That I didn't. Oh, I didn't, very well actually. done. It's a sound, it sounds pretty formal It does. Now. It sounds pretty. Yeah, um, yeah, so far. Yeah, that if, that if, yeah, that if, that if known would... would, would 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 cause a change in the share price. So, yep. um, uh, but is not disclosed publicly. Mm-hmm. It is it is information that only the insiders know. Now, yep. if you find yourself with any inside information, mm-hmm. don't trade it. Yep. And um, I say that for a couple of reasons. One, you don't want to go to jail. It's not it's not Correct. worth it. <laughs> <laughs> I've actually come across a few times a uh, bit of inside information a few mm-hmm. times. Um, just and it's just loose lips kind of stuff. You yeah. sort of hear from a friend of friend, and it just and 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 it's just you know, could I make a little bit of money on this? Maybe. Mm. Uh, is it worth going to jail? Definitely <laughs> not. Um, exactly. And there's plenty of cases of that, by the way. You don't have to look very far to find some uh, high profile cases of insider information going to leading to jail terms. So we're oh, not mucking yeah, around. Yeah. 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 No, no. And and here's the bizarre thing, though. In in the couple of instances where it's happened, mm. it actually didn't play out the way I thought it would. 
So I remember, I remember once again, it was some company <laughs> and someone said, oh, apparently the sales are going to be better than their, mm. what they guided for. Mm. And you think, oh, that's very inf- interesting information. Mm-hmm. That'll, you know, when the market finds out this information, the share price will probably go up. Yeah. Share price went down. The share <laughs> price actually went down. You know, it's just like so. That's so great. it's not. It's not this. It's not always this uh, ticket to, to easy riches. Mm-hmm. The other thing is as well as the, the the ASX and and others are getting quite sophisticated with mm-hmm. this. So they will pick up anomalous behaviour as well. It's not like yeah, totally someone right. manually going through and saying, "Oh, is Bob doing the right thing here?" It's just they they've got very very clever algorithms that will mm-hmm. that will pick up this this kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah. So, any, anything that you think could <laughs> would a reasonable person would expect mm-hmm. to have a material impact on the mm-hmm. business that is not widely known that is inside information. Mm-hmm. Um, we had, uh, uh, in fact, most most organisations have very tight trading rules around. Uh, policies around that to ensure that that doesn't happen and put what they call Chinese walls. I don't know why they're called that. Mm. Um, sounds probably inappropriate, but Chinese walls up between different segments yeah. of the business to to ensure that they that one one uh, one hand didn't know what the other was doing. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I don't know. What, what would you say about it? Yeah, I think you've nailed it, mate. Um, I, I am I am constantly amazed at how little people go to jail for, as in as in the chances they take to give up their freedom for eighteen months, two years, three years to make a little bit of money. It's like guys, not, not, like it's not worth, not worth it, right? Cheap cheap rent, mm. sure, but other than that, um, like seriously, why would you? So yeah, material non-public, they're the two component parts. Um, knowing that Bob the janitor has been replaced by Jane the janitor is not going to be material information, even if it's non-public. Um, and if it's material in public, then you're completely free to trade on it. If you know something about a business, you're right. The other thing is it's not illegal to have inside information. It's illegal to trade on that information. And yeah, I just wouldn't do it. If, here's the thing. My general view in life, call me too conservative, but also call me someone who doesn't want to go to jail and doesn't want to annoy the ATO, is if I'm not sure where the line is, I'm too close to it. Like it's, it's a really, yeah. really simple rule. You know what? Could I have made an extra percentage point here and there from this tax rule and that tax dodge and this sale and this purchase? Same thing with... Um, you know, uh, selling and buying back in a new financial year to kind of harvest the tax losses, right? Can you do mm-hmm. it? Yes. The ATO has really broad anti-avoidance powers. Do I really want to test those? Do I want to spend a year and a half arguing with the ATO about how legitimate my trades were? No. Like it's just, and for like for what? You know, a couple of hundred, a couple of thousand bucks? Like a couple of thousand bucks is a lot of money, but I guarantee you I'm not going to, you know, I'll spend that more in accountants fees and lawyers. Um, so you know mm. what? Just like if you, if you don't know where the line is, you are way too close to it. Um, in terms of whether it can be, uh, are those rules specific to a particular asset class? I actually don't know the answer to that, Andrew. I, I can assume it's general, generally, because it's it's, yeah. a, it's a legal rule, not a not a stock market rule. Um, but I well, know the, the, sure. the big the big case recently, and there's some good podcasts going around on mm. this, is the the one the FEFX trader with his mate oh, at yeah, the RBA yeah, who would right. release the unemployment statistics mm. to him mm. and say, "Oh, this," and so he could he could trade the currency markets. Mm. I made a lot of money. Um, funnily enough, probably never would have got caught except he got greedy, yeah. the the main guy in it, um, which is fascinating as well. So if you are going to do insider tra- insider trading, don't, no, please no, be no, conservative. No, 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 I'm joking. No. I'm joking. Oh, but it's, it's <laughs> if Ask Yeah, you're listening. He's kidding. And if if you are, if you think it's serious, name is Andrew Page. He's he's Andrew. He's the other one. (laughs) (laughs) But it is. But it does. But my my point is, uh, I dig myself out of this hole. Please. That that was that was with uh, forex and not not share. So I assume it is broad in its application. And again, if you don't know, don't do it. (laughs) Just don't. Like it's you know, there is nothing. And if the if the news is good enough, and the information is great enough, and the 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 future is bright enough, the thing is, as you say, mate, the, the moves are likely to be a couple of percentage points either way. So the amount of money mm. you've got to spend, invest to make that back on the options you might be running, even even sometimes the news is good and the share price goes down anyway. But even yeah. if you're right, you get a, a 10% gain. If you put 10 grand into it, you made a thousand bucks. Pay tax on that, that's 500 bucks. That's a lot of risk for 500 bucks, right? You put 100 is, grand into it, yeah. then the ATO is going to, or the ASIC's going to pick you up because you're like, hang on. <laughs> There's this 100 grand, 100 grand trade the day before an announcement or the week before an announcement. Um, it, it, yeah, just, just <laughs> it's, criminals always think they're smarter than the cops. They really are. Don't, don't try it. Okay, Yeah. Yep. here we go. Um, question from David. Hi, G'day, Scott and Ram. Thanks for answering my previous questions a few weeks ago. Very insightful and gave me some food for thought. Oh, good, David. We're glad. I was listening to the podcast, says David, and your answer to a question on leveraged ETFs and margin calls got me really interested. I tried, and there's two questions on this, by the way. I tried a bit of research by looking at the PDS for the BetaShares Gear uh, ETF, which seems to be a leveraged ETF for the ASX 200 that borrows from Deutsche Bank. Among a lot of jargon I didn't understand, I found this nugget. 
Now, he talks about the way it's geared and I won't probably read all in detail. Finishes with, in any event, investors are not exposed to the risk of paying margin calls in market downturns as all gearing obligations are met within the fund. So I guess it can blow up if there's a massive crash, he says, but in general, beta shares and Deutsche seem like reputable players, right? Surely, he says, they can manage any margin calls. Does this still give you the heebie-jeebies? Now, I'll come back to to his second part of his question because I'll then get a question from Michael. Michael says, fools and straws. I was very disappointed in your... I'm, this is my tone. I'm, yeah, I, I, I'll act it out. I'm very disappointed in your discussion on the NASDAQ triple leverage ETF on the US market. You tried to scare the audience with mention of margin calls because of the leverage. Very naughty, guys. TQQ is an ETF and holders need only be concerned about the price, which naturally varies at three times the change in the NASDAQ 100. Only the ETF fund managers need to be involved with any margin calls that may be involved, not the concern of we retail ETF holders. You should know this. Take a look at the, ta- the five-year chart, says Michael. Now, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to have the first one on this one, mate. Um, if we inadvertently said or inferred or simply weren't clear that the ETF holders could be up for a margin call, then I will personally apologise. I didn't, but I don't believe we made that inference. I certainly don't believe, I, I know it's not true, so I don't believe we would have made that, made that inference. If we did or let it go through the keeper or just in our words mucked it up, then my apologies. What I will say, and, and I, I will um, not disagree with, with David or Michael, but I will say very clearly is those margin calls might be met with inside the fund. And if a margin call is either A, hey, give us some cash, or B, hey, sell these shares, and it's absolutely possible for this to go to zero inside the fund. So I'm not saying that investors will be up for more cash to meet those margin calls at all. The problem is actually worse than that because if there is a margin call, if the bank wants its money back, they you can't add more money. So the only option available to the fund managers is to sell the shares. And if they do that, they can actually create more problems than they solve and it can still go either to zero or down a long, long, long way. So if I said, or if you said, um, you can have a margin call, that's absolutely not correct. I agree with Michael and I agree with David. There will be no investor margin call. And by the way, because there was two questions on it, maybe we did make that inference somehow. Uh, what my my issue with this ETF is not whether you'll have to put my hand, your hand in your pocket for more cash, but rather that the fund itself may implode or just lose a hell of a lot of money if they're forced to sell to meet margin requirements set by Deutsche. David, to your point, BDCS and Deutsche are absolutely reputable. There's no question of them doing the wrong thing or the anything unethical, illegal, improper, um, underhanded, uh, amateur, you know, unprofessional. But the structure is the structure is the structure, right? If beta shares have an asset and Deutsche wants the money and Deutsche calls that in, beta shares will pay it and everyone, it's done within the fund. It's completely appropriate. Beta shares is not though guaranteeing, nor is Deutsche, that the value of your investment, right? They're going to say, if this goes to zero or something close to it, you knew the risk, they're in the PDS, you knew we might have to sell some shares to make the margin call. If and when we do it, that will lower the value of the, of the ETF itself and that can meaningfully reduce to zero, potentially, or close to zero, the value of the fund. That's absolutely possible. Um, and if and when it happened, you would be all but wiped out. So, yep, no margin calls for the retail investor, absolutely true. Um, again, I'll apologise a third time if we made that inference, but uh, it wasn't intentional and certainly wasn't something I misunderstood. I may have miscommunicated it. But yeah, you, if, the, if, there's a, yeah if, if the fund itself has to meet that margin call, it comes from the assets of the fund, that lowers the value. And so it's not just, as Dave, uh, Michael says, not just three times the change in the NASDAQ. It's more if there are internal changes. For example, same as um, paying, paying debt and paying interest. You've got to pay interest on that debt as well. So it's not just three times. The asset value is likely to move three times, but there's stuff over and above that which requires funds to be re- you know, realised from selling assets, and that will happen. Mm. That's enough from me. Yep. Any more for you? No, you've covered it. Cool. Yeah, perfect. Uh, David's second part of his question. Also, a few weeks back, you mentioned that sometimes you recommend customers place orders at 10.20 a.m. so that any early fluctuations are cleared out. Do you have any other similar tricks of the trade? For example, maybe if you're going to buy, do you do it month X or day Y because all the big funds are selling to rebalance their portfolio? Or do you always use at market or at value to buy? I know I'm not going to hmm. out-trade the big players or find any secrets. Just looking for good habits to build, which I love. I love this part of it, Dave. He's not saying, look, can I, can I screw anyone over? Or can, is, there, is there some sort of magic pudding? He's just saying, you know, tra- trade hygiene, right? What, what habits should I have? Which I love. Just looking for good habits, says David, to build over a long and hopefully successful investing career to come. Cheers and keep up the good work, including the good oil. Thanks for the mention, David. And that's from David. So, mate, any, any um, I won't call them, well, I'll call them trading, because we don't mean trading as in buying or selling, but when you're placing an order to buy or sell. Do you have any particular rules of thumb you use? I'm, I'm really struggling to... Rem- I'm sure it happened, but I just... I don't remember I was saying that only trade after the market opened. Um, 
if I did say that, I'm trying to... Can you remind me if, if we did and what the rationale was for that? Because I don't... It doesn't ring any bells. Look, man, I, I, I wouldn't... Uh, because we don't script this program, I don't have any ideas. What I, what I think <laughs> may have happened... So what, what, we, what we have talked about in the past is for ETFs in particular, but for shares in general, if you have a rush of buyers or sellers... I think, I think what I was talking about was actually a... Um, uh, just just letting, letting the market flatten out or, or you know, kind of if there's, if there's an imbalance at open, it is likely to move the price one way or the other. And for ETFs, I think we said, or I probably said that the ETF should always trade at the market price uh, of the, oh, the, the asset price. Or the, but if the, mm. if, the, if, the, if, the, if the ETF um, market maker isn't paying attention and a whole lot of us try and buy or sell at a, at a given point, it's possible that it trades outside a balanced price because there's simply not enough units. Oh, available. I get, I get so you. So I think I, I probably okay. said, if I did okay. say it, I think I probably said, um, wait till you know, just just wait till the market's kind of you know found its found its natural balance before trying to buy or sell at ten twenty. Uh, okay, okay, um, okay. So I might I might have said that I think, but that's probably that's probably the context I hope. Okay, I just I just wanted to know because I generally speaking I'm really relaxed with these things. I just don't care. I, I know a lot of people do, and <laughs> yeah. and and the way I'm a long term investor. You know, mm-hmm. I genuinely am hoping to hold for five, ten years, hopefully yeah. forever. And so I tend to think that if this is a good company mm. uh, at a dollar, you know, it's probably a good investment to make at a dollar ten or at mm. ninety cent. You know, it's, yeah, there's yeah. a wide range. Of, and likewise, if it's an awful business, this is going to zero. <laughs> you know, yeah. It, 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 I, I'm not the kind of person who's trying to like make half a percent here and there by yeah. trading in and out. And good luck to you if that's what you are. So for me, it actually, when I look at all of my good investments. Um, whether or not I paid ten or frankly twenty percent more probably didn't make much of a difference, and and mm. and same on the on my, all my bad investments, which which there are plenty of those too. You know, mm. it just mm. it just doesn't make it. It's it's not worth stressing about. Yeah. So generally speaking, if there is liquidity available, that is, there's enough sell orders there to meet my buy order, and and it's roughly around the price that I think is is sensible. I'll just buy it on market, yeah. I mean, whatever. I, so, I don't really care, you know, dollar yep. one, dollar yep. three, whatever. Just buy it. I'm, it's it's not going to make or break the investment case. Um, the exception to the rule for me, though, is on uh, small cap, reasonably illiquid stocks. Yeah. So I mean, we've something that we've actually had a uh, bit of a challenge with the straw man. We had a few CEO meetings, and you know, the, the price shot up afterwards mm. because. Mm. You know, and it's only because maybe eighty grand worth of tra- shares went through at market orders and just just cleaned out those 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 limit those sell orders that were there and just pushed the price up as a consequence of mm. it. Um, so those things you do need to be careful of, and in those instances, I just tend to set a limit price and just and or just or try and just take little nibbles mm. at it uh, over time because you, you 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 just just by buying any reasonable sum you will swing the market yeah. and it actually it's, you're shooting yourself in the foot you're you're basically exactly. saying I'm prepared to pay a much higher price and yeah. the, you know the sellers will disappear that are there and you'll end up and and what actually happened in one case we sort of saw this big sort of dynamic and then the share price within a month was back to where it was anyway <laughs> yeah, so it's kind exactly. of do you know what I mean? I just yeah. I don't I don't stress about it, and and I as a personal bugbear of mine, mm. it comes up all the time because it's so uh, news not newsworthy mm. but news uh, attractive <laughs> in, in the sense that oh you know sell in May and go away yeah. and October is crash month and after October uh, reportings <laughs> these are the better t- yeah. a couple of things. Firstly, um, I don't think there's any statistical validity to any of these things. They, yeah, they're sort of these sort of uh, observationally sort mm, of anecdotal mm. things that people mm. tend to notice, but but I don't think there's any <laughs> as much validity uh, to it. That's right. Um, and there's certainly not enough validity there where it's actually going to turn your your long term average mm. returns into something awful to something good. Mm. You know, it's 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 really not. Yeah. So of all of the things you have to worry about <laughs> as an investor, and there are so many things. Mm. You know, it's hard. Um, whether or not you're going to pay one or two cents either side of the current market price is, is the least of your problems. So it's, it's, it's my my personal view, anyway. I agree, Matt. I couldn't I couldn't disagree more. Um, I couldn't agree more. Sorry. I a couple of things just on your example of um, small cap low liquid stocks. There's a business out there called Steamships Trading. Have you, have you followed that one? SST is the company. Hey, that is a fascinating business. Isn't it cool? Yes. It's really. I yes. really. I, I want. I want to like it. Basically, probably just because it's a bit of a throwback to like the 1800s. But here's the thing, right? If you go onto the, I'm just looking at Comsec literally right now. They we're doing this on Thursday morning, of course. Um, looking looking at it right now, there is not a single seller with a limit order in the system. So if you went to buy at any price, you couldn't buy because there's no one is selling. But you, you know, a seller could opportunistically throw a low ball offer in there, maybe grab your shares. 
And that could be really, really meaningfully large gap because there's no other sellers there, right? Equally, if you're oh, a you buyer... Mean, you mean a seller could put in a really high price and get you to... Uh, oh, sorry, sorry, yes, 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 high price, yeah, yes, yeah. yes. Um, and there's one buyer at $9.59. The next buyer is at $9.20. The one after that's at $9.10. The one after that's at $9. And there's a buyer there for $8. And that's it. There's only five open orders in the system at the moment. Now, again, yeah. you know, if you're selling and you were selling... Now, there's only the, the $9.59 price is only for 19 shares... So if you're selling more than 19 shares, you get the next level down and so on and so forth. You, you could end up finding, as you say, mate, if, you don't, if you're not careful with using a limit order for that, you would get absolutely wiped out. By the way, the other thing about, funny thing about that, well, so this is the 14th of October we're recording this. The last trade, 23rd of September. The one before oh, that wow. was the 17th of September. Before that was the 9th, then the 6th. So the last, there's been, there's been only four, five trade, four trading days in the last month and a half. So, I mean, that, that's an extreme example, right? But just, just be mindful of that if you're buying. Um, to your question, David, the other thing probably I'd say, a couple of things. Um, you mentioned, you know, should you be buying while others are selling. Uh, around the end of June can be a useful time to, I wouldn't, I wouldn't hold cash for this, but um, if there are people looking to sell losers, to harvest some capital losses for tax, um, that can actually push the price of losing stocks down even further. So that can be a, a time when it's worth keeping half an eye on some stocks that have lost over the last 12 months. Now, if they're down, they might be down for good reasons, by the way. So I'm not saying buy them just because they're down. But that's one time you might find an opportunity. Um, I'm like Andrew. I only, ever, I only ever buy it market. I probably use limit orders twice in my life. Um, maybe a couple of times more, but not many if there's any. Um, so for exactly the same reason, it just doesn't matter enough. Uh, it probably it might be good hygiene to use it regularly, actually, arguably. Um, but as you say, mate, if you know if you're going to double your money in five years' time, whether you buy it a dollar one, a dollar two, or a dollar you know or ninety nine cents, it's not going to be immaterial. Uh, so just mm. just yeah, buy the right company at around the right price, and you know, the the choice of business is far 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 more important than the way you place yeah. the order, the way you trade. But yeah, I think those two things. So tax loss selling you can take advantage of in June, and be careful with the low liquidity stocks brand, which are the ones you mentioned. But I just thought I'd use the the steamships trading company example because it's it's quite a good one. Mm. And just on that too, just very carefully, if you are doing what the ATO calls a wash yeah. uh, trade, so you're selling and then buying back just because you want to lock in a capital loss, yes. I don't think that's that's kosher. So, um, yeah, speak to your accountant about that. Don't <laughs> do not do it. <laughs> oh, I, don't know. I mean, some people do sell at the time and don't buy back just because they want to harvest the capital loss, right? So if, you're, yes. if you've yes. got a $1,000 capital gains tax bill due, and you're like, oh man, I've got this dog in my portfolio. I've been holding it for years. I haven't wanted to sell it. I wanted to wait till it came back to the previous price. I'm finally going to get rid of it. I'm not going to buy it back, but I'll do it now to get the tax loss in the same year. That's what the one I'm talking about. Yeah, as you say, don't don't try and yeah, don't place the buggers with tax. Just don't. That's what we said before. Yep. Yep. Robert says hi to smiling Scott and jovial rampage. That's quite nice. Mm, Thanks, Robert. Nice. Thank you for providing such an informative and entertaining podcast. You are both legends. And then he says, do people still say that? I'm showing my age. I think they do, Robert. At least I do, and maybe that's because we're probably the same age. But uh, le Legends works for me. Legends of the Fall, you know, yeah, I don't know. I'm going with it. A quick question, he says, around buying and selling shares. Sometimes, he says, I will decide to sell down a stock that I've decided there are better opportunities elsewhere. That makes sense. Once yep. the sell order has been completed, I always wait until the money has, has cleared through into my account before placing the buy order, as I have never wanted to be caught short. Am I? T uh, I'm, I'm too cautious to change my ways. So it doesn't matter what the answer is. He's not going to change it. I'm too cautious to change my ways, but I always wonder if the sale has completed, is the money guaranteed to appear? Mm. Cheers, no or is that Kogan mm. drink? He says in brackets, thank you, Robert. <laughs> and that's from Robert. I don't, I mean, it's not guaranteed, right? But I, I don't remember the last time I heard about it. I, I, no, it's, I think settling. it's guaranteed. Yeah, is yeah, it? A, the, 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 yeah, I'm pretty, I'm going way back to when I was working on a trading desk years okay. and years ago, but I'm pretty sure that once a trade is executed, mm -hmm. it's yours. Right. You know, it's like if you go, if you go to an auction and you buy a property and, you know, you, mm. you, you win. I mean, you've still got to settle, but there's consequences if you don't, right? So you, there's the legal, there might be instances where it falls over. I can't think of, of I think that's Robert, I think that's Robert's happening. question, right, is if it does fall over, he doesn't get to get the money. So his trade's going to fall over because he assumed he'd use that cash. So he's well, also, he's, he's, you're absolutely obligated to follow the trade through. But like with properties, as you say, there's times when the money doesn't arrive and they're like, oh, now what do we do? Well, well I think th that requires, you know, your broker going bankrupt or something like that, which okay. is unlikely. But also we have this thing in Australia. I haven't looked at this for years and I'm mm -hmm. sure it's still the case. We have this thing called the National Guarantee Fund, the NGF. Right 
which brokers all have to pay into right. each year. And it just, it just means that investors are always covered even in that event. So, so the moment that your trade is executed, a mm. nanosecond afterwards, you can use that cash. Mm. And, and I know Robert's not going to change his ways and that, that's totally cool. <laughs> but I, I, can't, I can't, I wouldn't say it's impossible, but I would yeah. say it's as close to impossible as you would get. That, that money is yours. There you go. Hopefully that's a good answer. Uh, yeah, look, we can't guarantee, we wouldn't guarantee anything. Um, I've never waited. Uh, not that I'm normally a super fast uh, investor necessarily, but if I, if I know I'm going to use the cash and sell something and buy something else, I do that pretty much on the same day. Um, again, I, I, maybe maybe it's riskier than it needs to be. And as Andrew says, Robert, you're not going to change your ways, which is cool, uh, but I wouldn't, I wouldn't be too worried. Motley Fool Money. For more, subscribe to the free newsletter at fool.com.au forward slash listener. Here's the question. Oh, dear. It's from Scott, mate. So it's a different Scott, I promise. Um, he says, hi, Andrew and Scott. Thanks for the great podcast. And Scott was one who says, um, uh, oh, sorry, actually, that was, that was Michael. Scott says, thanks for the great podcast. Well, this is a personal finance question rather than an investing question. I'd nevertheless be interested in your thoughts on it. <laughs> dear. Oh, do you guys have a guide property? to how much you think people should spend on housing? Particularly in the major markets, it's a difficult question to answer because most people have to stretch themselves to purchase property. But obviously, you don't want to stretch yourself too far, especially if rates might be heading north in the coming years. My inclination is to assess it at the amount that is comfortably serviceable at, say, 6% interest rates. But I'm open to other ways of thinking about the question. Thanks in advance, Scott. And I'm going to make yourself a cup of tea. Um, you, if you want to rant for 25 <laughs> or 30 minutes, that'll probably see us out for the podcast. And uh, no, uh, what you, that's, I've, I've actually never even considered this question, mate. Because, and this is, I, I think that's where you know most people go to the bank manager and say, "Hey, how much can I borrow?" Rather than "How much should I comfortably repay?" And the bank's got its own rules to how it assesses that. But for Scott, if he, if he was doing it independently of the bank's assessment or any of the any of the regulatory rules, how would you think about how much you'd be prepared to borrow, either in dollar terms or, as Scott says, based on a, a monthly repayment? Yeah, I think I think it's a really great thing to consider, and, and I think you should consider it because no one's going to care more about your financial <laughs> yeah, situation right. than you. The bank, the bank will, you know, the bank. They, what's the old saying? The banks that you know will lend you an umbrella on a sunny day and ask <laughs> for it back when it's raining. And, yeah, um, yeah. Um, uh, yes, I think there's there's also there's sort of there's a lot of sort of rational things to do, and then there's things to do that that help you sleep better at night, and there's yep. like an emotional component to all of that. So yeah. it is to some degree a personal question as to how comfortable you are with these things. But I would be very uncomfortable getting myself into a 20, 30 year obligation where virtually every last cent of my disposable income was going to mm. service this thing. Yeah. And if I got sick, or if I lost my job, or if uh, you know, any number of things unexpectedly came or interest rates rose or anything like that, that I would be screwed. Mm. That is that is not a good proposition for me. So mm. I know the banks, as you say, um, had a little bit of a buffer in on that. Yeah. I would I would ask myself, because we just don't know what's going to happen, particularly over those kinds of time mm. frames. It's just mm. like, could could I service this thing if, if I'm paying 5% or, mm. you know, pick a number. Yeah. Um, I, I think that's a really sensible thing. People don't consider it for, for a, in the main. And, and I think it's – and I think they don't because they, it feels as though there's no risk because mm. it's secured by the property and property, quote, unquote, only goes up. So it feels as though it's not that reckless a thing, although I, I would beg to differ. <laughs> <laughs> and now, now, having said that, having mm. said that, that is the entirely wrong thing that you should have done in recent history. Yeah. Uh, you know, going back the last 10, 20 years. I mean, any, the person who has been conservative, mm-hmm. um, <laughs> myself, <laughs> has, has suffered massively as a result of it. Um, yeah. The person who has gone all in, up to the eyeballs on leverage. Anything that in any other point in history or any other place in the world would just be like, whoa, what are mm. you doing? Mm. Have been immensely rewarded mm. from that. And not just because they got lucky over a six-month period because of this huge, big, ongoing change over many, 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 many years. It's mm. sort of... it. it I, I don't know. Again, I'm not. I'm not. I'm really, honestly, I'm not I'm calling for impending doom, but it just seems as though it's, it's a pretty fragile scenario to to get yourself into yeah. um 
even though it would have been the best scenario to get yourself into with, with the benefit of hindsight. You know, it's like it's like the guy who walks into the casino, puts his life savings on black and doubles his money, you know? It's like, yeah, right. well, he got a great outcome, right? He got a fantastic outcome. You can't fault the outcome. Can you fault the process? I mean, you, dumb things can be rewarded and, and really smart things can be punished. And that happens as an investor all the time. Um, so, yeah, I, I, I would... I would consider <laughs> what, what, what could go wrong and are you comfortable with that? Because if you can't, if you can't meet these obligations, you are then a forced seller. You might be a forced seller in very difficult times. That's right. Um, and, and, and leverage both, but works both ways. Whatever your deposit, I mean, mm. you know, your, your equity could easily get wiped out. We saw, not yeah. was it recently, they were publishing figures in terms of the number of people who, are, who have got an LVR, loan to value ratio of more than 90%. It's huge. Mm. So, you know, you, you, you buy a million dollar house, you put 100 grand on, the house falls 10%, you're wiped out. You don't, you don't lose 10%, you lose 100% yeah, that's right. of your money because the bank still says, well, that sucks for you, but we still mm. want our $900,000 back. Um, my house is only worth nine hundred thousand. I'll sell it. We'll get our money back, and then you've you've got you don't have your deposit anymore. It's, your equity's been wiped out. Yeah. I know. I sound. It sounds like really. What are you talking about? That doesn't happen, and it hasn't. It hasn't happened really, um, but it can, and and you need to be comfortable with with that possibility. I think that's right. I think um, so. I, it's it's an impossible question to answer in, in absolute terms. I can't disagree with anything you said, Ram. Um, a couple of things. Uh, you need to assume rates are going to go up. The banks are already using 3% above the current rate, so they're going to be using 5, 5.5 anyway. No harm in increasing that to 6, Scott. If you're comfortable with that, that, that would be perfect. Um, so they're allowing for some of that. As they do it, though, of course, work out how much is left and where you would take the extra money from if and when that happened. And th- hopefully you are either got some discretionary spending or even some saving that you could simply dip into to meet the higher repayments because the money's got to come from somewhere. Let's not pretend. Um, so, you know, you've got, you got to know where that where that money is almost and say, okay, well, I've paid this much at the current rate, but if the rates go up, okay, my savings will drop, drop by this, so we'll cancel that subscription or we'll do whatever. Um, have, a, have a really good sense of where that money would actually come from is probably my, my best advice. Mm. If you're super young uh, and you have a reasonable career progression ahead of you. I'm a little more sanguine than you are, Ram, because I figure even if wages for the, you know, like-for-like jobs don't go up, if you start as the paper boy and end up, you know, 15 years later as, as a middle manager, um, you're probably going to double your salary over that period of time. And so in theory, on a fixed rate, uh, sorry, a fixed price loan, your ability to service that should actually increase. Now, you may not. You may be the, the paper boy forever, and that's completely fine. Um, but, you know, again, knowing your own career Likely trajectory, I think, is probably useful in that in that sense. So I, I think about that too. Um, as much as you can know um, that stuff, like I think course, we probably all like to think that in fifteen years' time I'll be earning a squillion dollars. Yes, but, but all, all I mean is more than now, it, right? So if you if you can yes, afford yeah. if you can afford X dollars a month now, there's a, there's there's a very 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 high chance you're paid X plus something down the track. Now your your, your living expenses probably increase if you have kids or you you know you want to go on holidays. So you know it's all it's all in, it's all included. But just bear that in mind. You know, if I if I took out a loan on the first job I had. I'm being paid meaningfully more than my first job now. So are you. Um, so are plenty of other people. So you know, at some at some point that works. So there's that. Um, but otherwise, I think I think you're taking the right approach, Scott. Just just be comfortable that you, you know you can service at a higher rate and know where that money might come from, and that you can do that comfortably enough to make it worthwhile. Um, I think you're exactly on the right on the right track. Mm. Question yep. from Michael. This is the one I was alluding to before. Hi, Scott and Andrew. It's nice that you guys are doing the podcast with no pre-planned script like some others do. Yeah, those bastard others. And your discussions are natural and impromptu. We certainly are. Uh, it's also nice when you guys disagree with each other. No, we don't. Yes, we do. Uh, which prompts discussion from different points. You're just here for an argument. No, you know, I'm not. Uh, it's a bit of, bit, of a, bit of Monty Python there for you. So I'll tell you what, impromptu. Oh, we bring it all, Michael. <laughs> I was listening to both of you talk about property versus share investments for a while now. Oh, dear. I know you guys are always in favour of share investments. That's oh, a bloody property question. And you always make a comparison of property growth being 5% per year, maybe if you are lucky in brackets, compared to the shares that grow in 7% on average and also have a higher prospect of multi-bagging. However, he says, I just want to make sure I'm not missing anything obvious. In my mind, if I have, say, 200 grand and put it as a down payment for a, a rundown shack for a million dollars, for simplicity, let's assume the rental income covers all mortgage interests and expenses... Good luck with that, but let's assume. And there is no negative nor positive gearing involved. That's fair as a, as a, as a thought experiment. Mm-hmm. After mm-hmm. one year, if the property grows by 5%, it's now worth $1.05 million. Theoretically, wouldn't my gain be 50 grand over my 200 grand initial investment, which makes it a 25% gain? So why mm-hmm. is it the general comparison is always made saying that property grows at a lower rate? For me, I have investments in both, says Michael. For my property investments, I was fortunate enough to be able to refinance using the equity in my home 
to buy two investment properties. And in both cases, I was able to borrow the entire amount and even included the cost of stamp duty. Basically didn't have to outlay a single cent, so to speak. And the value of both properties now has grown more than the loan value. Yay. And if I try to use a mathematical formula, my investments grew by a gazillion percent from my initial dollar investment. Regards, Michael. Good questions, mate. I um, I will say I think that that is absolute. The, the one thing going for the, the one thing, the main thing going for property over shares is absolutely leverage. You can't borrow 95, 90, 80% comfortably on a share portfolio and do it the same way with that margin call. So that, 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 to my mind, is absolutely the, the strongest argument in favour of investing in property. Uh, but your thoughts on Michael's question, mate? I think it's not framed, with all due respect, Michael, well, because what the asset does is what the asset does. Your, the way you've structured that is, is different. So I could take your example of my 200 grand mm. and, and borrow money and leverage up in the market. And then if the market went up, so, so what really matters, I guess what we, when we've mentioned it in the past and we're just going on long-term historical figures, it's just, it's just a, a fact. Maybe that's different in the future, but, but so far shares have done better. Now, if we leverage them both up to the same degree, we get a consistent impact there. Mm-hmm. But to, to leverage one up and to not leverage the other one up and say, we'll see that one is better. Was like, well, yeah, you're always, leverage is always going to give you a better outcome mm-hmm. when, when things, when things go up. Mm-hmm. Um, so I don't, I don't think it's a fair comparison. Now, your point is a very good one, is that you, you're probably not going to get a margin call and all the rest of it. So it's a much, it's, it's a safe, you don't have the volatility. It tends to be a safer form of leverage, but it doesn't change the, it doesn't make the value of the asset. The, the, the pace of change in the, the value of the asset isn't mm. changed by how you personally structure your investment into it. Yep. Um, and I just, again, I, I just, I'm, I just, it seems like, such a crazy thing to say because the historical experience is the historical experience. Yep. But it just, we, we, I just am a little bit concerned that we have this mindset that it's just a, you, it, you can't lose. Mm. And I'm not saying you're going to, let me be clear here because I always get misconstrued. I'm not saying you will lose and it's terrible and all mm. the rest of it. Mm. But I just, I get nervous when, when people, I know Michael's not saying this, but when a lot of people mm. do just, they see it as a sure thing mm. and that's not the world we live in. It's certainly no, no, that's not the case in invest. There's no such thing as a sure thing. Yeah. yeah. Uh, beside a treasury bill or something. And even that's not 100% sure. And, <laughs> exactly. and, and anything, the surer something is, the worse the returns you get on it. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's, that's just where I would be a little bit careful. So I was listening to the radio the other day and Alan Kohler was on there talking about uh, property. And he was saying that shares, uh, property is different because people don't, mm. The way that people value property is, as you brightly said, is how much can I borrow? And that's, that's what they do. Um, but I actually took exception to that philosophically. I would say it doesn't matter what the asset is, that asset should be valued on, on um, the basis of the cash flow that it's, it's, it's going to produce or at least is capable of producing. So I think that's, that's another big problem here where we've had this decoupling of any financial reality to these mm. assets where mm. it doesn't matter that mm. I don't get any kind of in, net cash flow out at the end of the day. I might get a tax benefit along the way, but yeah. um, it, it, it doesn't matter. And no matter what I do, where I buy, I'm still always going to go up from there. I just don't know of any financial asset class that does that or has those characteristics that can do it. Now, again, that has been the case. <laughs> so so this is why you sound like a crazy person when you're saying that. But I mm. like theoretically, yeah. I, I don't know why that should be true yeah, and and certainly why that should be true at all times and all places um, and it makes me nervous. So I'm going to, I'm going to find and try and find a path between you and Michael here, Andrew, which is not hard because <laughs> you've got way up the end of one, uh, one angle. <laughs> Here's the thing. Um, I, so I think Michael is dead right. The only thing that matters at the end of the day is the dollar value of the gains you make over a long period of time, right? Mm-hmm. Ha, 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 now, obviously, there are riskier ways to do it just because you win lotto doesn't make lotto a great investment. Um, but, you know, it, it, the bottom line is if we're investing now and I want to retire in X years of time with Y dollars, then the best way to get there is the way I should choose. And when I say best, I mean, of course, with the risks involved and that will come to your property comment in a sec, Andrew. So I completely agree with that. I think, to my mind, that there's two... We don't know what shares going to do either, right? So we're going to take, if you're comparing the two assets, what I would do is say, right, what is property likely to achieve in absolute terms, as in without leverage, over 
the next period of time, call it 20 years for the fun of it, and do the same with shares. And then ask yourself, how much can I borrow? How much am I prepared to borrow? And what are the risks and um, upsides of borrowing that money for each of those two asset classes and go from there? The, the point I made was introducing the question is you can borrow 95% of a property's value. And if you borrow 95% of a, of a you know, million dollar property, just for the sake of the argument, you put 50 grand down. Um, if you, the property eventually over, I don't know, 40 years doubles, You've turned your 50, you've made, still made a profit of that dollar in, in increment, which is another million dollars, right? So you made a million dollars to the good. You've, assuming you've, you've paid the rent, the rent's covered, the, the mortgage, all that kind of stuff, and you have, to, you have to allow that cash flow difference as well, but assume that's true. On the other hand, I can have 50 grand worth of cash, and I can maybe, I, we don't recommend margin at all, ever, but it, you know, to, to do it like for like, I could probably comfortably borrow maybe 30%. If I pushed it, maybe 50%. So I could probably get a $100,000 portfolio with 50 grand. Now, to earn a million dollars on that, it's got to go up 10 times in value, even including the leverage, whereas the property's only got to double. And so the hurdles for both of those, and they're, they're extreme examples, right? So I'm not arguing either way necessarily just yet, but the, the, the cost of each of those and the return for each of those is absolutely worth including. And yeah. I have more than once thought, you know what, I think property's going to do much worse than shares at an asset level, as you rightly point out, Ram. Mm. But if I could borrow 95% or 90% or 80% of the asset value, because uh, I know I'm not going to get a margin call, which makes it much, much, much safer. Even if property values fall, banks aren't going to call it the loans in because they'd go broke. They send themselves broke, so it's not going to happen. Whereas your broker will, will call your shares in super fast if you get a margin call, right? They're not going to blink before they make you sell because they, they don't have a dog in the fight um, in terms of the, you know, getting, the, getting, the, getting the money paid. So that, that's where it's a little bit different to me. And I've I got to say, you know, if, if I honestly thought, and I don't necessarily think this is true, but if I honestly thought the property's going to do five and shares going to do seven, and I could borrow 90, 95% on property and 30, 40, 50% on shares, I'd go the property option. I really would. Mm. Not because mm. I, I prefer property, uh, not because I think property's going to give a better return, but the cash return I'm going to earn is going to be much higher if those, if those return exception, uh, expectations are real. And so that's, I wouldn't even look at the, um, the, the past and necessarily extrapolate. I, I, but I would, I would look forward and say, hang on, where do I think the money's going to be made by, by, the, by asset class? And how much of that can I leverage? And, you know, you do need to include things like ongoing costs. You've got to pay tax on the rent and you get a deduction for the interest and you've got to make sure one covers the other, all that kind of stuff. But yeah, I, I don't actually disagree with Michael's logic at all. The only question to my mind, I'd, I'll let you jump back in again, Ram. The only question to my mind is just which one is going to give the best return after leverage and after the interest bill is paid and everything else. Um, and how likely am I to be able to forecast that correctly? If it's five and seven, properties are lay down mazare. No, I don't think it's going to yeah. be. I think, I think she's going to do better. I'm not sure property's going to do as well. Um, so I would put maybe two and 10. And that's a very different story if you compound those numbers over an extended period mm. of time. Shares comes mm. back into its own. But it's, it's kind of relatively straight maths at some level. It's like, at what point is shares a better option than, than property? And you can almost have a matrix with the return, you know, the, you can almost do it in Excel, right? You put down one side, down one, one axis, you know, one, two, three, four, five, right through to 15% per annum for one asset class and one to 15 across the top of the, you know, the other axis. Mm. And, and based on the leverage, work out at what point one asset is more favourable than the other. But I think it's kind of just straight maths. As long as, and this is, this is the problem, it's straight maths as long as your assumptions are correct. Now, getting that right is stupidly tough. And I don't, I don't know how you take a long-term view on the, both those assets. But I absolutely think, if someone let me borrow 95% of my portfolio today, I would do it in a heartbeat if they promised me no margin calls, but they're not going to. And that's, that, that's where, as you rightly say, mate, you can't compare apples for apples because the leverage mm. is not the same. But you don't have to because it's not a question of who's, you know, which asset wins. It's which one do I make more money on given the leverage that's available. What do you think? Yep. Yeah, no, I, again, mathematically, you're right. But there, I, I guess I would also add there's a risk-adjusted adjustment yeah. that you need to make on that. So when you, when you borrow 95% yep. of a house... Things can go wrong. So mm -hmm. this is so when so yeah, you're not going to get a margin call, but the value of that thing can go down, or frankly, yes. it could just stay stagnant for quite yep. a while. Yeah. So you know you um you, you're not really getting any kind of re return there. Mm -hmm. So it's kind of it it it. Yeah, and again, as I said, life is messy. You yeah. get sick, you lose your job, or anything mm -hmm. sort of. Or again, you've got this huge amount of debt that now costs twice as much to service as it did before. Mm -hmm. And again, if you can meet all of that, and and none of those end up being a problem, and things just muddle through, then yeah, absolutely you are. But if if mm -hmm. you're not there to survive, 
you know, so it would probably all wash out over a twenty-year period. But if, mm. you, if you're not, if you're not, if you're not, if you're kicked off the horse <laughs> within mm. the first few years, well, then you know, yeah, there's right, no coming. Exactly. You've wiped out. But people save all their lives to get a deposit on a house, yeah, yeah. and that it gets wiped out, and it's like, well, you, you start, you're, you're starting from scratch, and so I just think you have to mind the downside there, and yep. I just. Michael's right. You're right. The maths is right. It's absolutely right. Mm, mm. But 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 <laughs> we keep saying that there are, there are downsides to leverage, and there are mm. a number of scenarios, not all of them highly implausible, mm. where where it can go against you, and and you can find that there is a double edged uh, to to leverage, mm. and and it's really scary when it goes. Again, read read up on what's happened in other markets, property markets mm, uh, mm. around the world in modern times and in, in historical sense. It just mm. Mm, it, it it can be <laughs> painful. And who does yeah. who gets hurt? People who are massively overextended, yeah. and that's they are the ones who get wiped out. And so far, it hasn't happened in Australia, and, mm. and hopefully, it never does. But geez, you've got to be pretty confident it's not going to if you're if you're if you're borrowing. $20 for every $1 that you have. Mm. There you go. Covered it nicely. That's all I'd say. Um, <laughs> so, 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 so here's, here's the, I don't have got the maths in front of me, so I'm not going to ask you absolutely, but how much better would a, would a leveraged property return need to be for you to prefer that over shares? Conceptually. Not, not necessarily an actual number, but you know, at some point if I said, look, you can turn 100 grand into a million dollars in five years with property or 15 years with shares, do you, do you take the bet? I don't know what oh, that would work yeah. out to in terms of percentages, but where, where, do you, where would you draw that line for yourself? Do you, you know, would you do the maths and go, sell my portfolio, I'm buying the unit in, I don't know, in a West Sydney or New Farm in Melbourne, or Brisbane or, you know, somewhere in Turek in, in, in Melbourne. I'll buy that because I, you know, the return is, I, I'm expecting a 5% return and I can leverage 20 to 1 or I can get mm. a 10% return in shares and I can leverage 1 to 1. Um, you know, how, how, how would you make that decision for yourself? Just to Michael's point. Uh, I'm trying to do some math, but yeah, it's not sorry, working. So, so I, I guess I, I, it, it would de- it would depend it would depend on my confidence of that future return. Yeah, um, right, okay. you know that, that's it, it. All hinges on of that. Course. You know the the difference between something that might be five percent per annum on average over the yeah. next ten years versus something that is two percent per annum yeah. or flat is it's just such a massive difference. Yeah, totally. and, and it changes everything. And I, well, no surprises. I, I have personal view yep. that I think five uh, percent uh, is, you know, compound going forward from here. I mean, housing's went up twenty three percent or something nationally in the last year, off a you know um, uh, a lower base. But mm. that, that's not normal. That's not normal. It's mathematically unsustainable. You just mm. you can't mm. do it. Um, so I, I, I would. Uh, and I'm actually at a point where I think I think we've said this to you before. We actually go back to mm. go and look at the Bureau of Stats and look at median house price and, yeah, and plot it out over yeah, It's yeah. not as great. It's not, it's not bad. I'm not saying it's bad, but it's just it's not it's it's not to the extent that a lot of people think it is. And these are gross returns as well, too. These aren't factoring in other costs and the rest of it. So I'm just and then I sort of look going forward. It, it, I would say the same, and I've said it before about the, the actual. I'm not trying to be negative on property. I think the market's mm. probably in a similar scenario as well. We I think the next ten years might be a little bit more difficult as 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 mm. rates try and normalise, or at least we don't have that tailwind of ever decreasing rates there. Yeah. Um, you've you've got to be careful. So I'm, I'm off. I'm off. I'm off on a tangent here, but it comes down to the confidence of the returns that you can expect. And if you if you are confident of those kinds of returns and you are confident of being able to service and manage things on the way mm. and being able to weather a few sort of unexpected twists and turns and, and negative shocks, then absol- absolutely I would do I would go go the property option. Yeah. But but I'm not I'm not confident of the returns there. And uh, for that yeah. reason I wouldn't. It's really hard, mate. It's really hard. So I, I more than once have, have had this conversation with myself about, you know, at what point would I buy the property down the street, around the corner, up, up the road, whatever. And, and the leverage is the key one, right? Because mm. if you do get it right, you can absolutely magnify your returns, which is exactly what leverage does. But as you also rightly point out, um, it's probably not going to leave you to a zero return unless property falls and never goes back up and all that sort of stuff. But um, it, it, it's some, at some point, um, there's, a, there's an open question. The other thing, by the way, is to think about um, you, you're compounding both numbers. And so it's also worth just, even even if it's five and seven, I have not, it's probably not a big enough gap, but at some point, even a small difference over one year is small. Uh, but so I think from memory, something like 10% or 12% is like the, the end number actually doubles. 
um, mm. after 25 years. I, I'm making stuff up now. Don't don't quote me on that. It's but, big. You know, a, a small a small a small increment can be a massive difference over the long term, depending on how big that increment is and how long you compound it for. So even if that was the case that you got a slightly better leverage return, um, you know, it, it's worth just bearing in mind the difference between those two numbers. So keep that in mind. Yeah. Mate, one last question we've got time for from Dean. Mm-hmm. It's a bit of a naughty one, but we'll get into it. Hi, Scott and Andrew. I enjoy listening to your podcasts. The Vanguard index chart gets bandied around a lot. Simply fantastic marketing for Vanguard, he says. Is the Vanguard index chart misleading in any way, question mark? I'm going to wonder if that's a, um, a, a rhetorical question, Dean, because you're going to make the case that it is. The chart itself calls out, in, in quotes, growth of 10 grand with no acquisition costs, taxes, and all income reinvested. Not all companies have a dividend reinvestment plan, he says, and returns would need to be reinvested into the market. In the early stages in particular, brokerage would be material relative to the money being reinvested and would reduce returns. Likewise, dividends would need to be taxed. Everyone's tax rate will vary, and it may be something that a general assumption needs to be made. However, assuming 100% of dividends are simply reinvested without taxation or brokerage may be misleading, he says. Are any management fees considered? What else have I missed? I note also, the Vanguard Index chart shows listed property. I can understand why the index shows this. However, most listed property is commercial and or industrial. The average punter property investor is in direct residential property. Where would the line for residential property sit at? Assuming, the, the, um, assuming like the equities index, no debt, all income reinvested and no fees. Does such a comparison exist? Are there more accurate index charts we should be looking at? Thanks. And that's from Dean. Good question. What would you say, mate? Mm. Um, they do all those things because they have to because you, you need to have an apples with apples and an oranges with oranges mm. so you can't and, and whatever tax assumptions you make on what asset class or, mm. you know your personal you, you have to apply to another so what they do is they say we're just going to get rid of that stuff mm. and focus on and focus on the underlying thing that we're trying to measure here is it necessarily a, a perfect uh, re, uh, reflection of what you mm. would get in mm. the real world with all of those very real costs probably not but, uh, well, and maybe not too far off, depending on how you invest. <laughs> um, but, 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 you know, the same is true of, of the property as well, right? So huge transaction statute costs. All, you know, so it's, yeah. and it's, all very, it's all very hard. So what they do is they try and – they have to. They, ha- they strip it back to the bare bones. Mm. And it's, it's, what it's really trying to show you here is a, is a comparison between the mm. two. So we could shift the y-axis scaling a little bit, but mm. the charts would still look the same. Um, but it's 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 a really it's a really fair point, and it's a really good point as to as to why you really have to factor in the real true costs of of investing, and you know what 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 transactions, commissions, taxes, and everything I have to pay on the way through. Absolutely, you need to mm. consider it. But the point of that chart, and we don't work for Vanguard, and we don't get a commission uh, from them, but it's just a lovely chart that mm. I think we talk about it a lot because. The share market is this super crazy kind of thing, um, which is you know seen as a casino and the rest of it. Yeah. But it just it nicely puts into to view the long term compounding wealth creation capacity of it, mm. and and it, it it's just it's just a nice reminder of that. Now again, we could maybe we should adjust that that y axis down half a percent, but then we'd we'd yeah. be adjusting everything down in in, yeah, in that yeah, as yeah. well. So. Yeah. I think you can overthink these things. And here's the other mm. thing I would say as well is, you know, we're, we're share market guys. That's, that's what we do. So mm. we're, we're biased. Um, but again, I, 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 I used to, again, much more ideological as a younger man. But I kind of think <laughs> someone out there mm. who's, who's chosen to focus entirely on property and is yep. doing it very judiciously and sensibly, I've got, no, got no criticism there whatsoever. Mm. Mm. Now, am I going to get into a big argument and say, well, historically, shares have outperformed property <laughs> by dip, dip, dip. You know, I'm just like, mate, you, you, you're saving, you're investing, you're doing really wonderful things and you're doing it conservatively and, yeah. and sensibly. I, I, I've, got, I've got no issue and I, don't, I just don't want to get into any arguments about that yeah. because it's, yeah. it's something it, – and it, 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 it's in an asset class that you feel much more comfortable with and it doesn't bring the scariness and a lot of the, the uh, 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 esoteric kind of stuff that comes with the market. Go for it. Fantastic. Mm. You know, um, I'm not, I'm not going to overthink that kind of stuff, but yeah, I think, I think the point of the chart is, is that it just, it just shows that the share market is a wonderful wealth creation vehicle. And so is property. Mm. But you know what isn't? Cash and term deposits, <laughs> fixed interest, <laughs> stay the hell away, you know. I think that is, that to my mind is the major, the major point. Um, 
it, it, it gets it gets ideological pretty quickly, and we are shares guys, as you say, Ram. I think this, you know, I, I don't. I mean, I don't really care what the number is, right? Ten grand to one hundred and something grand over a long enough period of time is the point. And if it's ninety five or one hundred and five or one hundred and fifteen, uh, they they should be accurate, right? I, I got to say, by the way, Dean, I've got no issue giving Vanguard as much free press as I possibly can. Uh, not because I have anything, anything, you know, I've got nothing to gain from that. Um, these guys are a not for profit who have done more, as Buffett said, Jack Bogle, the, the founder, has done more for the average investor than anybody ever, including himself. I have zero issue giving a not-for-profit fund manager who's driving fees down and making investing more accessible as much free press as they want. <laughs> you know, I, just, I literally have no issue with that whatsoever. Is it great for them? Yeah. Good. I hope it is. I really do. Um, yeah. I'm a big fan. Um, so, look, there, there's that. I think... By the way, you can actually... It's not the brokerage as much as you might think because there is an ETF that tracks this stuff. So the other thing is you could buy the ETF every six months with the dividends and that brokerage goes away really fast. You're not buying every 200 company, every one of the 200 companies. You can buy the ETF itself almost by definition uh, and get that. But again, as you say, there's a management fee. So those things are absolutely true. Um, but as Ram says, it's an apples for apples comparison. Take the cost out and say, look, what would it look like? The answer is X. Um, and, and it just it is what it is, right? It's it's if nothing else, and I don't care whether you use Vanguard or BlackRock or iShares or someone else. Just keep your fees as low as you can. If this if this motivates more people to, as you say, mate, invest regularly in in whatever the hell they want to do. Here's, I mean, I've, you know, you and I are trying to beat the market, right? I if mm-hmm. if we do nothing else but encourage a truckload of people into the market, and they all lose to the market by two percentage points a year. They are going to be far, far better off than if they hadn't done it at all. Yes, it's, it's, it's yeah, kind of one of those things point. where, like, it, you know, I don't want to underplay the need to be accurate. And Dean's absolutely right to ask the questions, and I, I think those yeah. are really, really valid considerations. I don't know how you do it in in a way that makes sense, honestly. Because um, actually, you've got, you've got rates, you've got you know agents' fees, you've got commissions, you've got and the same. You hold cash. Okay, we got to pay tax on the interest you earn. Okay, there's that, and you know if there's franking credits, mm-hmm. we don't, they don't include franking credits, by the way, Dean. So in fact, if you included Australian franking credits, you'd probably you'd probably wipe away all of those other things and more. So arguably, the after-tax return, if you added franking credits and took out costs, you'd be miles ahead. You'd be even more further ahead, I think. Ram, is that is that a reasonable assumption? Or I, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, oh, they're huge. Check that for me. Yeah. Right. Yeah, if you want so, to look at it, if you want to compare a yield in gross terms for a fully franked yeah. dividend, divide that number by 0.7, which yeah. is sort of like timesing it by 1.42 1. 1. 4. or yeah. something yeah. like that. So it's, it's a 40% increase. Yeah. Uh, on on the dividends only, right? So if, on if, the the average market yeah. is, if the average market's 10, of that 10, four's dividends, uh, mm-hmm. 1.4 is another 1.6. So your return of 10% goes to 11.6% before tax or grossed up mm-hmm. for those franking credits. You're not going to pay 1.6% of those other costs. So in fact, if, you, if we do it the whole way through, shares would actually be even better and even more superior than they look um, for what it's worth. But again, you can leave that out. It just doesn't matter. So yes, accuracy is important, but... If, if Vanguard just says to people, you know what, this is why you should be regularly putting some money aside, investing it in the market, dollar cost averaging, just do the thing, uh, then that, that to my mind, mate, that, that's job done. So I, I'm, I, you know, again, I don't want to give them a free pass on accuracy. There are valid questions, but as I said, there's also a very valid, and I think overriding alternative, but far more important than that is the broad value of this, which is as a motivating tool so that someone can say to, to a, a customer, a client, a podcast listener, hey, even if you don't get this return, if you get if you, if you get two percentage points less, you'll have a squillion dollars in retirement if you just follow this follow this idea. And if it's mm. property, great. If it's oh, it's a cash because cash really does suck. Um, but you know, like it, that's that's kind of the point. So I, I couldn't agree with you more. And I've spent five minutes agreeing with you rather than just simply saying I agree. Uh, I've, I've explained why I agree with you because um, I'm pretty passionate about this one. I just I honestly. Of all the things I can get worked up about, this is not one of them. I've got to say, um, just because it just it just doesn't matter. It's just just not important enough. Vanguard, it's not even a Vanguard product, by the way, Dean. So that the, the index they track, they don't offer an ETF for the ASX 200. They just don't. Um, there's an ASX 300 index they offer. I think is it is it B shares or I shares that offers the 200? Matter, I can't remember now. Mm, one of the two. Doesn't I'm not matter. Sure. Yeah. yeah. Um, so you know, if if you actually want to get that return, you can't even buy a Vanguard product to, to track it. But yeah. You know, if you look at that and go, "Hey, it's wrong," but geez, if I can you know, get ten times my money in in thirty years, I'll do it. Cool. That that's that's job done as far as I'm concerned. And more Australians will be much much better off um, if they if they get more exposed to that one for mine. Yep, yep. One very quick point before we Please. wrap it up too is just that um, I, I know Dean wasn't saying this, but it does come up a bit if ever mm. I've talked about it. People go, oh, well, but for me it was different. Yep. You know, I bought this here, or, and I, I yep. feel as though, well, again, these guys have to deal with averages, and it's not. It's not fair to do that. So you may have bought a, a two-bedroom unit that did 10 mm. times better than that as well. But if you're going to play that game, 
<laughs> well, yeah. let me introduce you to a little company called Amazon or, yeah. or, or Prometicus. Or or, <laughs> yeah. you know, or in, so you can yeah. find yeah. when yeah. you when exactly. you when you're very selective in your yeah. examples, you will yeah. find things that are very well outside of the average yeah, exactly. uh, yeah. out there. So you, you've got to be careful with kind of mm. that, that, that kind of stuff. And it's one of those, you know, roughly right rather precisely wrong things, right? Like it's just, I, I, you know, I, as I said, I, the, I've said to people before, there are three things that will influence your, your, investing, your, your investing portfolio, right? But by retirement, it's going to be time, the amount of money you add, and the average return you get, and almost by definition in that order. Because mm. you mm. can't make up for 40 years of missed investing by beating the market by a couple of percentage points for a decade. You just can't do it. Yep. Yep. You can't make up for... Um, you know, you can't make up with a couple of points for increasing the amount you save by a hundred bucks a month for the next forty mm. years. So mm. if you can, if you can put time on your side, then deposits or savings or investments, and then returns. And look, as I said, we're 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 aiming to be market beaters. Right? I'm not I'm not I'm not going to put that aside for a second. That's super important, but far 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 more important than the returns you achieve. Particularly you know, if without the other two, if you get the other two right, then of course then returns matter a whole lot more, right? But in order. Mm. If I could say to people, you've got three ways to do it and the most important in order are more time, then more savings, then a higher return. Because mm. if I save 100 bucks and get a 15% return, I save 200 bucks instead and get a 10% return, I'm miles better off. It just, it's just the way it's going to yeah. work, right? The amount of money I put in is going to matter. And if I can do that return for another 10 or 20 years, rather than trying to earn 15% in the last decade, it's just not going to work. So time first, savings or investment second, and then returns. And that's what I think, for me, hopefully, what the Vanguard Index chart shows more than anything. Yep, nice. Nicely said. <sighs> Should I, get, I feel like a bit of a high horse, but it's been a while. No, <laughs> high horse. Yeah, yeah. All right, that'll do us. Mate, thank you for joining me for another mailbag podcast thoroughly fun, always my always. pleasure always my pleasure thank, thank you. you to those Thanks people who sent me. their questions in uh, we love them even the critical ones um, it's, it's a fun conversation starter and we get the last word so no I'm kidding uh, so it's, it's, it's very much worthwhile we very much appreciate it if you do want to send us your questions we hope you will let me go in reverse this time info info at fool.com.au is our email address. You can send us questions there. And again, as I said, send us an audio file if you want with a question. We haven't got any of those yet, but hopefully not far away. Info at fool.com.au. You can get us on, I'll go with you for the first, that gives Ram a bit of a, a bit of a G up, uh, at Strawman Invest is where you can find the Strawman account or at Sage underscore Simeon. You can grab me on Twitter and Insta at TMF Scott P. Grab The Motley Fool on Twitter or Insta at The Motley Fool AU. Follow us on Facebook. The Motley Fool Australia, just facebook.com slash The Motley Fool Australia or slash Scott Phillips Money. That'll do us, mate. Until next Friday when I rejoin you, Fool on. Cheers. The Motley Fool and people appearing in this program may have positions in the companies mentioned. General advice only. Please speak to your financial professional to understand how it may pertain to your situation. Subscribe to the free newsletter at fool.com.au forward slash listener. The Motley Fool operates under financial services licence 400691. Listener.